from WJFF Radio Catskill, this is Close to Home, the podcast that explores the people, issues, and institutions in the Catskill Mountains, the heart of small-town America. I'm your host, Leif Johansson. Thanks for tuning in. You may recall that we did a few episodes last year highlighting some of our local businesses and the folks behind them. Well, today I am excited to bring you another business feature, and this time we are talking about Delaware River Solar, a community solar company here in New York State that has built dozens of solar farms around the state since it opened in 2018. And it just so happens that Delaware River Solar has built more solar farm projects in Sullivan County than any other county in the state. Delaware River Solar is a community solar firm. We build solar farms and we manage them. That's Kat Scott, the customer support manager for Delaware River Solar and a longtime resident of Sullivan County. Community solar is a really great way for people to access sustainable energy. When we build a solar farm, people can sign up, enroll, or subscribe, all of those words apply, to the energy that we produce. And when they do that, we provide them with a discount off of the utilities rate. Um, Right now, we're offering a 5% discount. Uh, So if you signed up for our solar farm and we produced energy for you. We like to use round numbers so that people understand it a little bit better. If you consumed $100 worth of electricity and we produced $100 worth of electricity for you, you would pay us $95 for that electricity. So it's a really easy way for people to utilize renewable energy and they save a little bit of money while doing it. So you can reduce your carbon footprint and you're not paying a premium to do it. How it actually works is that those solar farms are just hooked right into the grid and that will just feed energy into the grid. Is that right? Yes. So when we build a solar farm, we're looking for sites that are close to a three-phase line or a substation because when we produce energy, we are uploading that energy directly into the grid. So every day when the sun's out, and even in the wintertime, a lot of people think, oh, this is not a good place for solar because we live in the Catskills or New York or what have you. Um, that's not true. There is enough energy here to produce um, electricity. Uh, Germany is one of the highest producers of solar energy, and they are aligned on the globe at about the same place that Alaska is. So um, while Arizona is probably a real great place for solar energy, so is New York. We just have to put out a few more panels than Arizona does. Um, Even in the wintertime, we are producing uh, solar energy. When it's a cloudy day, like today happens to be a little bit cloudy, we are still producing solar energy, um, which is why you should always wear sunscreen on a cloudy day because those UV rays are still coming down, folks. Um, So when we build those uh, solar farms, we are looking for that infrastructure and we work with the utilities and we we build the solar farms. We're producing energy. We're directly uploading that into the grid. And how it works is it's a system of keeping track because if you have solar panels put on your house and you're creating energy, you're also putting that into the grid. 
And the uh, utility company is keeping track of that. It's something called net metering. So on your house, your, your meter actually works backwards to record the energy that you're producing when you're producing. And then let's say at nighttime when you're not producing energy and you're consuming energy, then your meter starts to work forward. It's a system you know, to keep track of the energy that you're producing. The same concept works with community solar, only it's called off-site net metering for some of our projects. So what happens is we're producing energy and putting it into the grid. We're telling the utility, Mr. Jones is on our, our, our solar farm and we are allocating him X percentage of the solar farm. And every month the utility goes and reads the meter on our solar farm to determine how much energy has been produced. Then they determine how much energy Mr. Jones gets based on his percentage of the solar farm. And then they do the calculations of how much energy is was produced for Mr. Jones. And then they um, apply that to his bill because they're reading Mr. Jones's meter to see how much energy Mr. Jones is consuming. And he gets his bill and he sees his solar credits applied. Um, Some of our older projects are two bill projects, meaning we bill separately from the utility. So the money is taken off of the utility bill. So some people only get like a $16, $17 um, electricity bill, and then they'll get a bill from us for their electricity at a discounted rate. Um, And then we have other projects where we now have consolidated billing. That means that the utility is doing all the calculations, applying the credits, and then applying the discounted subscription fee, and the customer just gets to pay the utility, and then the utility pays us. So New York State is really pushing for renewable energy. They have a goal of wanting to be, I believe the new goal is 70% renewable by 2030. So they're trying to make this as sustainable as possible, sustainable financially, sustainable um, practically, and then sustainable um, environmentally. We have 44 solar farms throughout the state. So what I like to tell people is we are building little tiny power plants. For instance, our first solar farm was a three megawatt project. So it resides on about 10 acres of land on a field that was no longer being used for farming and it produces energy. It produces not a whole lot, enough for about 300 accounts, right? And we upload the energy into the grid. And then um, we, we put another solar farm in Calicoon on top of Hospital Road. Again, this one is a little less than three megawatts. Um, so what we're doing is we are using the existing infrastructure and in the existing system, but we're putting in these little solar farms that are producing energy and we're reducing the amount of energy that some of these other bigger things are producing to send here. So it's a little less wear and tear. Um, It's locally produced energy. So the energy, let's face it, before I got into this, I had no idea what went into me flipping on a switch to turn on a light. I didn't know where the energy was coming. I didn't know how far it was coming. Um, And that's, I think, um, how most people live. So what we're doing is we're creating these solar farms that are producing energy locally, cutting down on the amount of energy that's coming from a non-renewable resource from further away. It's um, reducing some of the wear and tear on the lines. And um, I mean, it's also producing local jobs. Uh, And honestly, each one of our three megawatt solar farms reduces carbon emissions by about 5 million pounds per year. 
And one of the things we do on our customer invoices, and we now have a new customer portal, is we translate that to the customer, what their carbon reduction is, so that they have an understanding of what their impact is, what this one decision, how it has impacted not just them, but everyone. I want to pause here for a moment to put the amount of power that these solar farms produce into perspective, because I know for me it is hard to wrap my head around what the significance of a 3 or a 6 megawatt solar farm is. So let's start with what a megawatt is. Well, in the same way that a megabyte is a million bytes of information in a computer, a megawatt is a million watts of power. So a big incandescent light bulb in your house might need 100 watts of power. The average American household uses about 11 megawatt hours of electricity per year. Now, all that means is that our household electricity usage in a year could power an 11 million watt light bulb for an hour. Basically, a watt is a unit of power and a watt hour is a unit of energy. Now, bear with me here for just a second. If we use 11 million watt hours per year, that means we use something to the tune of 30,000 watt hours per day, or about 1,250 watt hours per hour, which is the same as saying that our power consumption on average in any given moment is around 1,250 watts, which seems to make logical sense. That's 12 and a half 100 watt light bulbs worth of power being consumed on average between all of our various household appliances. But more importantly, what that means is that a solar farm producing, say, 6 megawatts of power in a given moment can actually power a ton of homes. If each house needs about 1250 watts of power, a solar farm producing 6 million watts of power in that moment could theoretically power about 4,800 homes. Now, in practice, a solar farm rated to produce a maximum of 6 megawatts of power is not usually producing 6 megawatts of power. Sometimes it's cloudy, sometimes the panels are covered in snow in our case, and of course, it's dark out about 50% of the time. Also, solar panels produce DC, or direct current, energy, and our national grid uses AC, or alternating current, energy. Now, that's not a major problem because solar farms use something called inverters to just convert DC power to AC power so that we can use it in our homes and businesses. But during that conversion, somewhere between 10 and 20% of the solar energy is usually lost. So the final output of power onto the grid is always a little bit lower than whatever the panels are producing at any particular time. Anyway, back to Cat Scott. What's really exciting is the next phase of this is called community choice aggregation, where solar farms are built for whole communities. So like the town of Delaware, if the town of Delaware wanted to sign on, anyone who lived in the town of Delaware could opt out. But if you didn't opt out, we would be producing energy for the entire town at a discounted rate. And again, it's just building solar farms 
um, in places like we lease land from farmers, uh, farmers who are not able to use that land anymore for whatever reasons. Um, we all know the hardship that our farmers are facing. And some of them have a lot of land and they don't have a lot of income from that land anymore. And that's something that's really important to us, accessing these fields that are not being used and using them um, to create energy. And it gives the farmers a passive uh, source of income um, because they get paid every year for that land. I have heard that some farmers are unhappy with the idea that agricultural land is being used for solar farms. How would you respond to folks who are worried that this is going to ultimately negatively impact local agriculture? You know, I can understand that because change is always worrisome um, for folks, but the farmers that have um, leased their lands to us, they're very happy with the arrangement. Obviously, we don't have anything to do with what's happening in, in agriculture, um, but we are happy to pay people for the land that they're willing to allow us to use. And the land has really not changed that much, even though the solar farms are there. The farms, I always tell people, like, God forbid something happened, those, far, those solar um, panels can be uh, taken up and taken out, and that land can go right back to what it was being used for before we were in the picture in a very short period of time. So if they were using it to hay, they can, they can go back to haying it. If they want to put cows on it, they can go back to putting cows on it. So there's no concrete foundation that's laid or anything for those no. solar panels? No, not, not with how we are constructing them now. It's, and I'll be honest, um, when I first got into this, uh, I lived in Hortonville, which floods. And one of our projects was less than a mile uphill from my house. And that's one of the first things I said, I said, whoa, 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 is this going to impact flooding? And they were like, no, because we're not, we're not changing anything to the ground. Um, Water will (laughs) hit the panels and run off, but nothing, it was going to change how permeable the ground is. Another thing I want to ask about is, as you mentioned, even on cloudy days or during the winter, there is still uh, solar energy that's being created. But we do have long winters in the Catskills and, and upper Delaware regions. I imagine that it is much less solar energy that's being produced in winters when it's cloudy or when panels are covered with snow for a large part of the winter. How does that impact customers then who are buying into this program? Well, we know when the sun is producing the best amount of energy, right? It it happens from May through August and we know when it's not producing, right? So we call it, you know, high production, low production. So September through um, April and really the bad months are January and February. Um, And all of that has been calculated. And so what happens is, is we allocate people at a certain percentage. And then in the summertime, when we're producing a lot of energy, we're hopefully overproducing for you. Um, because another thing that kind of happens is, and, and everyone uses energy differently, but for this area, it's very common for folks to use more energy in the wintertime, less energy in the summer. So when we're producing a lot of energy, you're using 
a little bit of energy. So whatever energy we produce for you that you are not consuming just rolls over to the next billing cycle. So when we're coming out of summertime, when we're coming out of August and September, usually folks have um, what we call a carryover um, and they can use that. They can take off of that as they're going through wintertime. So is it a perfect system? No, it's not. I wish it was, but there's a lot of variables. People use energy differently, right? And then during the wintertime, say someone's energy is only, you know, 20% of their energy needs in January are coming from the solar farm. Would that just mean that they get a discount on that 20% of their energy bill? Yes. So you're still going to get energy. A lot of folks, when I first started this, were really worried, like, well, what happens in the wintertime? Am I not going to have electricity? You're always going to have electricity because we are putting that electricity into the grid, right? We're not directly feeding your house. And by the way, folks who have solar panels on their roof, when they run out of their own credits, they still have electricity because they're still connected to the grid. Um, and that's honestly, like I said, before I started this, I did not know what went into the magic of turning on a light switch. <laughs> um, you will always have energy. It just, if we, if you run, run out of the credits that we produce for you, then yeah, you're not going to get a discount on that energy. In this job that I have had, because I started out in sales, I started having to explain this to people and trying to sell it to them to get them to sign on. And it went over like a lead balloon in the beginning. It really did. It went, okay. it was uh, because people don't, uh, first of all, when people heard solar, they thought expensive, mm. they thought premium. They thought, Oh, I, I don't want to put anything on my roof. And to be honest, individual uh, installation is the best bang for your buck, right? Um, it's a, it's a great return on your money, but not everybody has the opportunity to do that. Um, people rent, people don't want to put something on their roof because they might be five years away from a new roof. People don't have the money to invest. And there's also an age factor. Some people are at an age where they don't think that they're going to see that return on their money. Um, so when I first started doing this, I had to educate people, right? I would say, hi, can I talk to you about community solar? And people would put their hand up and go, I, I don't want to put anything on my roof. And I would have to try and stop them. No, 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 no. I don't want to put anything on your roof. So that that was a real uphill battle. Just giving people enough information in a short period of time for them to understand what we were doing. So there are a limited number of spaces on each solar farm for people to buy into. Are, are there still a lot of open spaces on, on newer solar farms that, that you guys are building, or are you finding that this fills up pretty quickly? Our solar farms are usually completely full by the time they go live and are operational. Hmm. Um, it is a process, right? We have 44 projects that are live. Um, so usually when people sign up, we, because people move, things happen. So we're always looking for a couple of customers for our, um, live, you know, current projects, we usually have spaces there, but um, it depends on how many people we're getting signed up. And we try to time this so that we don't have people waiting too long. In the beginning, uh, we had a lot of people waiting, right? Because it takes a little while to develop the farms. I like to joke and say that building a solar farm, the actual building of the solar farm pad, like that goes so fast. The paperwork before and after just 
just takes forever, right? So, you know, when we're looking at a site, of course, we have to find a site. If it's land that we're going to lease, there's negotiations there. If it's land we're going to buy, then there's a process there. Then it's also going through all of the regulations, right, within that municipality, like um, meeting all of the, the paperwork requirements. Sometimes there can be wait. We've had customers wait um, sometimes anywhere from six months to a year. And in the beginning, <clears throat> there wasn't a lot of other options. Now there's a couple of other companies out there. So, you know, now we're just like, oh, well, we don't want people to wait because they might go, oh, well, why don't I sign on to someone else? So that's been an interesting change over the years. The one thing I can say is that there's a lot of variables in this, right? <laughs> so sometimes you can call up and say, oh, I, you know, I'd like to sign up and we can get you on a product. And here's the thing. If you sign up today, if you wanted to sign up today and I had an available spot for you, it takes the utility at least a minimum of 60 days to onboard new customers. And we have no control over that. So I tell people, um, you know, it could be 60 to 90 days before you see credits. But once you get on the farm, then everything kind of works like uh, clockwork. But yeah, sometimes there's a lot of hurry up and waiting. Is this only available to people who are living in a certain geographic range? Um, in New York State. Okay. Right. You have to live in New York State. Now, we do have a, the majority of our projects are in the NYSEG uh, territory, but we are also in Arginee, which is up by Rochester. We are also, um, we have uh, a project in Central Hudson, um, and we have some projects. We have, uh, I believe, one or two projects in Orange and Rockland utility territory and National Grid. So you need to live somewhat close to one of the projects in order to buy into it. No, you do not even need to live next to a project. No. When we we first started, you had to live in the zone that the solar farm was in. And those zones are pretty large. They can be pretty large. Mm -hmm. Now it doesn't matter. Um, We have one of our, our furthest, uh, our, one of our projects that's the furthest away is all the way up um, by the top of the state. Um, up in Moors. And if I could allocate you tomorrow to that project, Um, because again, it's about us producing energy, putting into the grid and you're getting credit for that. Gotcha. Now, so someone living in Buffalo could call up and get onto a solar farm that's in Bethel, if there was a space available. Yes. Got it. Okay. Um, but hopefully, hopefully soon in the future, we'll have a solar farm um, in almost everyone's neighborhood so that the energy you are consuming and the energy you're getting credit for are all coming from a solar source. People can always call us at 845-414-3491 if they have any questions or look us up at DelawareRiverSolar.com. Well, I am excited to see Delaware River Solar continue to expand and help New York State decrease its reliance on carbon-based energy. Of course, for us to meet our emissions reductions targets, we're going to have to bring more of our fossil fuel power plants offline. But every home that switches to purchasing energy from renewable sources helps those renewable energy companies expand 
and develop a more robust renewable grid, which will in turn allow us to safely transition off of our remaining oil and natural gas power plants. And lastly, just for fun, I think it might be useful to put the power output of the DRS solar farms into a broader context with the other power plants that are here in New York. So most of our nuclear and natural gas power plants have a power output of between 500 and 1000 megawatts. But here's a fun tidbit. The most powerful power plant in New York State is not a nuclear or a fossil fuel plant at all. It is the hydroelectric plant at Niagara Falls, which has a power output of a whopping 2,435 megawatts. So why not just build more hydroelectric plants? Well, essentially, we already did. Of course, there's only one Niagara Falls, but throughout the 20th century, lots of man-made reservoirs were constructed all over the state and all over the country for that matter to create hydroelectric plants. But today, it's a real estate problem. There just aren't that many convenient valleys to dam up and turn into miles-long reservoirs anymore. But there are tons of open fields throughout the state, so even though each solar farm doesn't produce nearly the energy that a big power plant produces, there are thousands of potential places to build small solar farms, and that adds up. Thank you so much to Cat Scott for taking the time to chat about Delaware River Solar on today's episode, and as always, thank you for listening. I'm Leif Johansson, and this is Close to Home, a podcast from WJFF Radio Catskill. Have a great week.